Hello, welcome to the latest on Lightboard Transition. I'm Laura Talvitie and this is PwC's podcast series about the challenges and opportunities when transitioning away from LIBOR. So far in these episodes, we've concentrated on the regulated financial services firms and their progress. But what about corporates? Clearly, they play a significant part in making the transition happen, but may also in some cases lack the knowledge and skill set to do that. In our virtual studio, I've got Chris Rotopoulos, a PwC director from our Treasury Advisory and Assurance business, and Sarah Boyce, an assistant director from the Association of Corporate Treasurers. Sarah has been involved in eyeball transition since 2017. She sits in the Sterling Risk-Free Rate Working Group and a number of subcommittees providing, in particular, the corporate perspective to a transition process. In 2021, she also joined the ARC's Non-Financial Corporates Committee. Thank you for coming along and it's great to have you here today. If we kick off with the basics, Sarah, um, what's the latest on LIBOR reform and why should corporates even care about it? Thanks very much indeed, Laura, for uh, inviting me along today. Um, Let me start by talking a little bit about where the market developments have have got us so far. Um, I think that if we start with that, it'll become very clear as to why corporates need to focus and need to need to spend time resolving their LIBOR transitions challenges. Um, So on the markets, broadly speaking, and this has been running for many years now, as you said, I've been working on this since 2017. um, And it's actually been in process probably since around 2014. Um, So we finally have broadly agreed market conventions and systems that enable products referencing RFRs, which are risk-free rates, which are the um, preferred solution or alternative to libels going forward, just for clarity. Um, So we've finally got to the state where there's a way of managing RFRs, which has actually enabled the various financial markets to start to move forward. If I look at a few of those markets in a little bit more detail, so if we start with sterling, um, I spend a lot of my time in sterling. Uh, a lot of the people listening today, I'm sure, have a lot of sterling um, financial products in, in within their portfolio. If we start with derivatives markets, some say job done. Um, And according to the FCA data, close to three quarters of uh, new cleared sterling swap activity is now based on Sonia. And that figure is growing all the time. And the expectation is that the vast majority of the derivatives market will have converted to Sonia um, and indeed to SOFA for US dollars by the time the relevant LIBOR panels end. Um, So that's good news. Looking elsewhere, the picture is slightly more nuanced. In the cash market, for example, progress has been much more mixed. If you look at sterling bonds, they are now almost exclusively being priced off Sonia and have been since about 2019. Loans, however, are have been slower off the mark, um, really because of the lack of consistent conventions um, and loan system readiness or lack of loan system readiness more accurately. Um, and also, concerns around tax and hedge accounting, which we'll come back to. That said, new loan transactions since March this year 
are all being done away from LIBOR. And I say that rather than using Sonia, because some of those transactions will be using alternative reference rates, but they are no longer being um, executed against LIBOR. The next key date for sterling is actually the end of quarter three, which will be with us well, pretty much before we know it, to be quite honest. I don't know where this year is going. So and that is the target date for completion of active transition. Now that we're seeing the vast majority of new transactions being executed against RFRs or away from LIBOR, the next big challenge is what do we do about the legacy book? And that's the thing that the um, official sector, the regulators are very keen on us focusing on, and they would like to see um, transitioned away, as I say, by the end of Q3. No doubt we'll touch more on that as we go through this conversation. But let me just briefly talk to US dollars, because so many corporates have got dollar exposure in some form or another. And the dollar um, transition has been somewhat behind sterling. Um, there's a lot of commentary at the moment that actually sterling is being used as a bit of a dry run to see how things will work. And then that's going to be replicated through the dollar market. And in fact, we're seeing a few of those um, of those examples being uh, happening at the moment. For example, the one one of the ways that the sterling market has moved the derivatives market, lots of markets in that sentence, I apologize, but the, one of the ways that's done that is to adopt a Sonia first quoting mechanic, as in the dealers had to quote Sonia rather than LIBOR. Um, and that was very effective at moving derivatives. The SOFA market has now adopted something similar and it's having a similar sort of impact over there. Um, the other thing to note is that the ARCAS have announced that there should be no new dollar LIBOR transactions from the end of this year. Um, and that's something that is news to some people because some people assume that because um, US dollar LIBOR will be, the panel continues until 2023, that there is no change to dollars. That is not the case new dollar transactions will need to be done away from LIBOR from January of next year. Um, and I think finally what I would say is that the banks are being put under um, considerable pressure from the regulators in, in the UK, but not exclusively in the UK, to ensure that transition happens. Um, and this is in, almost inevitably going to filter down into the corporates because you know, as we are all aware, they will then be expected to move at pace to enable the deadlines to be met. Chris, uh, to build on Sarah's uh, take on there, can you explain why it's so important that corporates engage in the process and don't just let it happen, if you like? It's a great question, Laura. And it's uh, something that Sarah and I have spoken about often over the course of the last few years. I'd highlight three areas. Firstly, LIBOR reform does impact corporates, uh, as I think you can gauge from Sarah's explanation there. I think most corporates are aware that it is going and perhaps also aware that the changes could create uncertain or unfavorable outcomes. So for example, most corporates are impacted because they typically have some form of financing agreement that refers to LIBOR. They may also have derivatives, trade finance, intercompany, leases or other contracts that reference LIBOR. Corporates will care if LIBOR's end means that those contracts leave them in an, in an uncertain or unfavorable position at the end of the year. 
So a simple example of what I'm talking about is where they end up paying more interest under their facility agreements because of a move to Sonia, for example. They also care about the time and cost required to amend those contracts. The second point that I'd make is that it's complicated. It's important to pay particular attention to how contracts are amended for LIBOR reform, as there can be unintended consequences. So for example, amending contracts to standard market conventions that Sarah was describing there, can cause interest basis risk between different types of instruments, so between loans and related derivative hedges. And that could cause accounting or tax surprises. And then finally, there are likely to be a number of actions that should be taken to get ready for this change. Probably the biggest one to focus on now is the time available to make changes to systems and processes which forecast, accrue, or value interest flows under these new reference rates. Those calculations are much more complicated and will take some time to get used to. I guess in this new world, under some of these new re replacement rate conventions, you might only know how much interest is due on the day it is due. It's going to be very different to what many corporates are used to and prefer. Absolutely, Chris. Um, and the regulators have tried to highlight this as well along the way. We've entered the last six months in the sterling transition and a lot of the roadblocks have been cleared out. Um, but you both mentioned certain risks are still left in the transition. Um, Sarah, what do you see are the biggest challenges left for corporates specifically? Uh, yeah, but you're right. There certainly is a, a lot more certainty than, now than there was six months ago, but there are quite a lot of challenges. Um, I've, I've got a bit of a shopping list, uh, <laughs> as is my way. Some of these will apply to some and not to others, but just you know, to give a bit of a colour of the sorts of things that perhaps corporates need to be thinking about. So, so let's start. You know, there's a difference between the approaches that are being taken in the various jurisdictions. So the, so the alternate reference rate, the RFR in dollars, for example, is calculated differently to the one in sterling. Um, so that has implications potentially for things like systems, um, you know, identifying your, your conventions, deciding about, because they're on different timelines, do you, when do you actually want to transition your, your deals? Uh, you know, if you've got sterling and dollars in a, a loan facility, for example, when is a good time to transition that? Um, and I'm sure that Chris will talk about that a little bit more. And between the pair of us, we'll certainly touch on that again going forwards. Um, other things such as, you know, there's a there is a big challenge for cross-currency swaps. And cross-currency swaps is something that from you know, a lot of corporates use them a lot of the larger more sophisticated corporates that are have international exposures use them and there's been a, a lot of debate about the you know, what happens to cross currency swaps because if dollars are moving at one speed and sterling is moving at another for example what does that mean for the cross currency swap world the um, official sector the regulators have finally got their heads around this particular challenge and with effect from the um, 21st of September, they've actually announced a global RFR first, a little bit like the Sonia first, SOFA first thing that I mentioned earlier on. Um, but this is with the um, 
direct intention of addressing this cross-currency swap challenge. So you know, that's great news, but it's not until the 21st of September, which is very close, you know, to all intents and purposes to the end of the year. Other other things that are on my shopping list are things that, um, such as, you know, what approach is the best thing to take? You know, what's what's the best approach to take? Do you look to actively transition? Do you rely on fallbacks? Do you have, and if you're relying on fallbacks, you know, that's a whole different project that you, you can't assume that the fallbacks that you have at the moment are actually going to work. You'll, you will still need to do some work to check that they are appropriate. Um, Tough legacy is is a bit of a joy and a bit of a a bit of a, a pickle. It's a bit of a problem, child. Tough legacy. Tough legacy is really those transactions that, for whatever reason, it's not to all intents and purposes practicable to transition. The various jurisdictions have actually come up with legislative solutions for that, but needless to, well, not needless to say, but all of the jurisdictions have slightly different approaches. So, um, yes, again, it's something that needs to be worked through. Chris has mentioned very you know, intercompany lending, tax and accounting. They're absolutely things that I'm sure that he will talk about um, more during this podcast. Finally, for me, the, um, the other challenge that we need to remember at all times is, is the, the other places in the organization that use LIBOR. It's very easy to assume, oh yes, LIBOR is a treasurer problem. And yes, it is. But LIBOR will be in commercial contracts, it'll be in valuations, it'll be in pensions. It's endemic throughout organizations. And it's really key that you understand exactly where you have those exposures. PwC recently completed a global survey on corporate readiness, and the results are available online. Um, Chris, do the findings align with Sarah's views uh, before, and were there any surprises otherwise? Um, so, Laura, that's right. We we surveyed corporate clients in May and released the results in June on um, various web pages, including the one dedicated to libel for corporates. And the findings were consistent with what Sarah was saying a moment ago. And whilst they painted a disappointing picture of libel reform, they were not entirely surprising. I'll share three statistics that I found particularly revealing. 59% said a lack of guidance had been a major impediment. Corporates want guidance and solutions from the market, and they want their banks to be more forthcoming. 58% of those with non-US dollar LIBOR exposures were either unsure of their timeline for switching or did not plan to transition until the fourth quarter. My experience is that often the reason for that timeline is that their banks are not ready. I think that the banks are ready now and the issue will soon become that the banks will not have enough time to deal with all the amendments that they need to affect. And then as Sarah's already pointed out, there's particular complexity when you have to, when, when you have cross-currency exposures to manage. So I wasn't surprised to see that 69% do not plan to transition US dollar LIBOR exposure until sometime in 2022. Or frankly, they don't yet have a plan. Pretty significant numbers, Chris. What about accounting? Um, you mentioned that it's it's a key part in the transition as well to think about. It is. And here it's mostly good news. 
the International Accounting Standards Board has amended IFRS 9, which is the relevant accounting standard for financial instruments, in a way that helps address most of the typical accounting consequences. In summary, the ISB had a two-phase project to consider what, if any, reliefs to give from the effects of LIBOR reform. The first phase took effect last year, and it provides relief for hedge accounting in the period before LIBOR reform takes effect. So that um, was adopted by the majority of corporates that hedge LIBOR interest exposures under IFRS, and it basically allows LIBOR-related hedges to continue. So a simple example would be when hedging future LIBOR cash flows. That usually requires an assessment of whether those cash flows are highly probable. And that wouldn't be the case with LIBOR going away. So the, the relief allows hedge accounting to continue, to continue until the uncertainty associated with LIBOR reform goes away. The second phase took effect this year, and it addresses some of the issues that would otherwise arise when an existing LIBOR rate in a contract is replaced with, a, with, with an alternative interest rate in that same contract or in a lease or in a derivative in a hedge relationship. Those reliefs are also very practical. So long as the changes are made as a direct consequence of LIBOR reform and are economically equivalent in terms of outcome, there shouldn't be a significant accounting impact on those loans or leases or hedge relationships. For borrowings and leases, you'll simply update the interest rate. For hedges, you'll be able to update the hedge documentation for the change and basically preserve the effectiveness of the hedge. But there is devil in the detail, and it does depend on how you affect these changes. So it's not completely a free pass. So for example, there may be issues if you amend contracts for other reasons. Also, if you cause a basis difference in a hedge relationship, then that will require ineffectiveness to be measured. Um, there also, unsurprisingly, several disclosures that will need to be given to explain the impact of LIBOR reform and the counting consequences. I'd like to also point out that there are some other potential accounting and tax pitfalls to look out for. A topical one for some is the impact on their trade finance arrangements. So for example, off-balance sheet accounting for receivable, for receivable factoring arrangements could be adversely impacted in certain scenarios if invoicing discounting is changed to calculate interest on a backward-looking SONIA rate. Another example is that there could be transfer pricing implications caused by modifying intercompany loan agreements. That also needs uh, careful consideration and management. So we are in the final six months now of the sterling transition, clearly no time to spare. What are your recommendations for companies right now and where to find more information? It's, uh, I, I think you know, it's a classic risk management approach. So it's really all about identifying where your LIBOR exposures are and remembering that it's not just in financial markets contracts. And then having identified them, it's a case of developing a solution, implementing reporting. As I say, classic risk management, which treasurers are all overly familiar with probably. Um, a couple of things I would say is that, as Chris has alluded to, the banks are absolutely, um, they're ready now. Please do talk to your banks. They've got lots of resource. 
the vast majority of them are more than willing to help through this process. Um, and in part, that's because the uh, regulators are leaning on them quite heavily. Um, in addition to the banks, it's important to get tax, legal, accounting and your technical teams um, mobilised. Um, and for example, we're already beginning to hear that there is a shortage of lawyers that have the if you like, necessary skills to assist through LIBOR transition. So to Chris's point about this, the, the concern about people running out of time at the end of the year, partly driven by resource and just not being able to get through the sheer level of work in quarter four, it's a very, very real risk and something that I mean, one reason why we're talking today is that you know, people need to start to think about this now and hatch a plan. Um, there's lots of resources out there. Um, you know, the ACT have resources, PwC have great resources, UK Finance have resources, and particularly um, if there are any SMEs that are listening, they have some really interesting and, and, and useful resources for SMEs. Um, what I would suggest, and, and, and in part based on the, um, the timing challenges that we're all going to be facing through Q3, Q4, um, is consider developing contingency arrangements. You know, do you want to be able to fall back to fallbacks? And if so, what do those fallbacks look like? And then the lastly, and definitely not the least important, is the importance of communication. It's really crucial to ensure that your board and other key internal and external stakeholders are, are briefed on this process. Um, not only just to keep them informed, but because actually there may be practical implications, not just on the accounting that Chris has alluded to, but for example, you may need to amend delegated powers if you're transitioning away from LIBOR using an alternative reference rate. Absolutely, Sarah. Um, I'd add that if you've not yet remediated all your contracts, pay particular attention to the possibility of a value transfer taking place. I highlighted earlier how you could easily see a floating rate borrower paying more interest because of a change to Sonia. Um, we, we have some great tools to help our clients understand if this is significant by illustrating the, the potential value transfer of various scenarios, including where derivatives hedge uh, cash instruments. But perhaps the point I'm trying to make is echo the comment that you made, which is there's a lot more certainty than there was a year ago. There are lots of tools and resources to help identify and resolve priority areas um, and address those questions that were vexing corporates up until recently. Uh, we, we have additional guidance dedicated to, uh, to corporates. Just Google PwC libel for corporates. And in particular, I'd flag uh, two things. The first is a free project assessment tool to quickly assess the status of a corporate's LIBOR reform project. And secondly, there's a lot more on the accounting uh, and tax, including the challenges that come with amending intercompany loan agreements and how to address the transfer pricing issues. Uh, and there's also the details of, of the team members who'd, who'd be delighted to help. Thanks both for your time today. My last question is for both of you again. and. I asked this in every episode. Will the market be ready in time? And what are the key concerns that keep you awake at night? All right, <laughs> you start. Uh, well, it depends what you mean by ready, I think, probably, Laura. Um, 
Yeah, mostly ready, I suspect. Um, certainly the regulators are keeping very close to the banks and the FIs to ensure that they, that they do everything that they could possibly do to make this happen. Nobody wants to go through a LIBOR transition exercise ever again. Um, it's too time consuming. It's too expensive. It's basically too stressful. Um, what I do worry about is the unintended consequences. And I know Chris mentioned this a little earlier because although there's been you know some very big brains and a lot of thought gone into this transition process as recently as last week so that is early july so as recently as early july concerns were being raised about how to transition pfi financing for example um i really do worry that something has been missed that will come back to bite us yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying, Sarah, and I I agree. Um, but 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 there is a silver lining for most corporates that do their diligence and 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 think about the exposures and apply a really thoughtful process to that. In that, they then find that there's nothing really to worry about once those plans to address those issues are in action. I guess the thing that I worry about though is the time left to put some of those plans into action. For example, negotiating bespoke arrangements with banks and the remaining time available may require compromises. And I guess I worry that corporates may be pressured into more of those compromises. Thank you, Chris and Sarah, again. Um, I know there's a lot to do, but as you've outlined, there's also a lot, a lot of support available for those who need it. Um, we are out of time, so I'm going to wrap it up here. But I really appreciate your insights today. And thank you to our listeners. Please get in touch if you have any questions. And you can also sign up to our semi-monthly market update newsletter, which covers the latest iBoard developments globally. And please subscribe to this podcast for future episodes as well. But for now, that's all from me. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>